My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. This is a CBC podcast. Israel has stepped up military action in Rafah, the city on the border of Egypt, where over a million people in Gaza have taken refuge. The Israeli military is also threatening to expand its offensive if Hamas does not return the remaining Israeli hostages before Ramadan next month. Yusuf Hamash and his family are among those who fled south looking for safety. He's an advocacy officer for the Norwegian Refugee Council. Yusuf, hello. Hi, Matt. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm alive. Where are you right now? In Rafah. And how have you been since we last spoke? Uh, unfortunately, the situation is getting worse and worse on a daily basis. Yeah. Everything with the struggle and the challenging daily life is getting more difficult. Can you describe what that's like? I mean, when I asked you how you were, you said, you know, you're alive, which is, is um, as, as much as perhaps you, you can ask for. Tell me what life is like right now. And when I answer you, first of all, that I am alive, and to be honest, during all these circumstances that we are going through, being alive is such a privilege. So I think that the most thing that we are looking for now is to stay alive. The situation here is, is getting worse every day. Unfortunately, there is lack of access for, for the basic needs and for everyone here. They are talking about over a million of people who are displaced in Rafah and doesn't have any accessibility to have access to their basic needs or to feed their children. We have a huge issue related to the drinkable water and the most needy water and there is a mass spread of disease among displaced families because of that crowd like the crowdness and there is no also there is no medicine available there is a few medical points that are available to use for displaced families in Rafah but also again Rafah as a city doesn't have the infrastructure to host all that amount of people so this over this crowdness and the, all these challenges it make it more important possible and it became kind of a competition between displaced families to reach their basic needs either to wait in line in front of a bank atm or waiting in line in front of get some bread or to fill uh, your jerry can with water and this is the day the daily life the cycle of life for for families who have been displaced in rafa unfortunately where are you getting your food and where are you getting your water from we are, we are the same as other almost over a million. Yen. We are trying to secure our basic needs. Thankfully, I kind of have the financial capacity to cover my need. But unfortunately, not everyone has that ability. Because I came, I came earlier to Rafah, I'm more than two months now in Rafah, I had to secure my sources, which is based on a networking. Unfortunately, families who came on a, after the, the expanding the military operation in Khan Yunis, these families came. While there was a dire need in Rafah, there is thousands and thousands of families who are already in need and there is nothing to cover that need. Imagine then these families came 
looking for a shelter. So they start to make makeshift shelters, and they, we have different waves of displacements every few days. Started from uh, the middle area, then Khan Yunis, and that also make a huge pressure on the capacity of the Rafah as a city itself. So it became more more difficult to access your basic needs. How worried are you, and how worried are people about the possibility of a ground invasion? Israel has said that if Hamas does not release hostages, perhaps by Ramadan, that the military will move into Rafah. How worried are you about that? Yeah, and what would what reduce our tension and our the tension in our heads is that they were now they are talking about Ramadan. So as we still we have a glimmer of hope that we will find the solution up to Ramadan. The previous few days we didn't have that option. We were thinking that they are going to expand the military operation in Rafah in any moment because that's what we were hearing from the Israeli media and Israeli spokesperson. And also we had a huge incident in Rafah when the Israelis released two hostages from Rafah. And to, to cover that, I think they, they did huge amount of airstrikes in the same time and all over across Rafah, killing over 100 people. That day, for me, was the indication that, okay, now they are going to expand their military operation in Rafah, and that's it. And it's the question everyone said. Everyone's asking everyone what we are going to do if they expand their military operation of Rafah. We what, saw what would you do? What would you do? Of displacement. Unfortunately for me, I was displaced from a place to the other. Yeah. And for me, the, la- the last destination, I could reach it in Rafah. I live in the far north of Gaza Strip, and now I'm living in the far south of Gaza Strip, in Rafah, near the Egyptian border. So this is the, the, the maximum limit I could reach. This is the final destination was for me. Yeah. After that, there is no realistic option for us as displaced families in Rafah. Yeah. This is impossible to find options and solutions. Yani what we are going to do, going to the middle area, which is overcrowded and also under bombardment on a daily basis, or they will allow us to go back to the north and Gaza city, which is plis- which is split from the rest of Gaza. And people are dying from famine. People are dying from hunger every day. And w- the struggle that people are having in the northern part of Gaza, you cannot compare it to our, to our struggle in the south and especially in Rafah. At least even it's a challenging. It's some kind of kind of impossible, but somehow you could manage it. In the north, there is it's impossible. People were relaying to eat uh, animal food, and now the, you know, imagine that human beings are in competition with animals to find food in the north and Gaza City. So, what are the options for that have been put in front of us to take it? We don't have options. Either we run towards the Egyptian border, and I don't think we, they will welcome us this way, or we, if we have on the other side the military operation in Khan Yunus, and there is no distance between Khan Yunus and Rafah. We can clearly hear the tanks, the crashes, the bombardment, the huge amount of bombardment that's taking place in Khan Yunus. What, what gives us a huge concern, actually, when we are hearing already the bombing, airstrike in Khan Yunus, we are waiting because we, are, we, we know that we are next. But there is, again, there is no option have been left for us. Do you have any hope? in the situation that you're in right now? If we lost hope, I think that the only thing that we still have is hope. And we lose we lose most of it because the humanity itself have failed us. International community have failed us. World leaders have failed us. So the only thing that remains for us as people in Gaza is hope. If we lose hope, we lose everything. We lose our sense of humanity. And uh, we, are, we are struggling, fighting, fighting to keep it. Just we want to keep the sense of being a human being, having have feelings towards our families and our children, trying to manage their needs, giving them sense of safety, finding them water, proper clothes during this harsh weather that we are going in. All of that, we are doing that because we have a bit of hope 
and we are convincing ourselves that okay soon we are we rely on news ah, there is some positive news coming from egypt about the, the negotiations or yeah, we, we convince ourselves to keep hoping otherwise we will collapse and we will surrender for the situation that we are going through and that will reflect our responsibilities towards our families and children you, you don't know you cannot imagine how was people were in a shock and very happy for a, 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 a misleaded, mistranslated news about the negotiation in Egypt that they thought that we had a ceasefire. Thousands of families who were in tents were shouting, whistling, because they thought it's finished. People are starving to an end for this madness around us. We are keeping hoping and we will keep hoping until an end of this madness. Yusuf, I'm glad to talk to you again. Take care of yourself and thank you very much. It's an honor, Matt. Thank you for the chance, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yusuf Hamash is an advocacy officer for the Norwegian Refugee Council. He is in Rafa. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced the Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Ido Moed is Israel's ambassador to Canada. He is in Ottawa. Ambassador, good morning to you. Good morning, Matthew. Thank you for being back on the program with us. Will Israel launch a ground invasion of Rafah? We are at a war, and uh, I, I must tell you, um, our hearts go out to anybody who is suffering enormously under this horrific war. But it can be over in an hour if Hamas lay down the weapons and release the abductees. It's very simple. And um, you know that uh, both of us no, didn't hear the word Hamas come out of the word uh, come out of the mouth of our previous speaker because of the fear that it instills among Palestinians. They are also hostages in this situation. So what we have to do is to release 134 abductees that are held by Hamas. We want to make sure that they don't pose a threat threat to Israel anymore. If they lay down the weapons Hmm. and release the hostages, everything changes. If Israel launches a ground invasion of Rafah, there are a million people there, half of Gaza's population, people, as you heard, who have been through multiple displacements. Um, They were told that that, that, that Rafah was a safe zone, and now there could be an assault there. Where are they supposed to go? (laughs) Matt, this situation is horrific. But we have just conducted a, a very meticulous, carefully uh, orchestrated operation in the hospital, the Nasser Hospital. And we found hundreds, hundreds of Hamas uh, terrorists hiding there, dressed as medical staff. Uh, some of them even participated in the massacre of October the 7th. This isn't something that we so, can confirm because obviously journalists can't get in there. And we can talk about the hospital in a moment. But if you're talking about Rafa, where are people supposed to go? If there is an invasion, a ground invasion of Rafa, where are those people, the million people, supposed to go? So the question is really, where would, how do we get our hostages back? I think this should be the question, of course. But the, but the question, the question I'm break. asking you, the question I'm asking you is where will those people go? When we started this operation, uh, you're asking me, uh, uh, sorry, you want an answer for me uh, that is, I suppose, uh, tactical uh, or operational. And you know that I'm not in no position to tell you that. But I'm saying to you that our 
considerations when we are thinking about any kind of further operations to release the hostages and to stop the threat emanating from Hamas, take the considerations, take into consideration the needs of the population. And so when when the massacre took place, Israel just didn't start the operation. It took a long time to think how hard, how do we conduct this uh, incredible war uh, warfare that was never conducted by any military in the world. But it's necessary because those people are out there to kill us. That so, question, but that question is important in part because it's not me asking the question. It's the international community that's asking the question. You have Joe Biden who has called Israel's actions in Gaza, in his words, over the top. The UK is saying you need to think very seriously before taking any further action. Canada says that Israel needs to listen to its friends. There is increasing pressure from some of Israel's closest allies to prevent a ground invasion in Rafah. Will you, I mean, Canada says Israel needs to listen to its friends. Will you listen to, to your friends? We are. We are listening very carefully to everyone. And we are thinking very long and hard what to do next. You see that we are already speaking about this for several days, if not weeks. So why, what's the question here? We are thinking about this, and we know it's incredibly complicated. We know it. The United States has proposed a resolution to the UN Security Council saying that a ground offensive in Rafah should not proceed. For the first time, the U.S. has used the phrase ceasefire in that resolution. What does that tell you? It tells us that Hamas is close to achieving its goal through terror, creating a uh, um, pressure on the population, which they, as they say, they want to sacrifice so that the international community will pressure Israel to surrender and expose itself to further attacks. This is what is going on. And I don't think that our government is ready to do that just yet. We are not ready to surrender, lay down our weapons, turn our back on the murderers and let them stab us in the back again and again and again, as they said, because they butchered women, children, babies, They've done that and they will do it again. So we have to find a situation where the population is not held hostage anymore, liberate Hamas, uh, the Gaza Strip from Hamas, and find a way to live together with these people that we were trying to live together with until October the 7th, providing them with work, providing them with economic uh, support, providing them with alternatives to Hamas that didn't really materialize because Hamas actually monopolized the government there and took these people hostages that you hear that they are not even daring to say Hamas on air because they don't know what are the repercussions for them. So security situation in that part of the world is a little different than in this part. Do you, do, do you, think, that Israel, do you think Israel is losing international support for its war? There was great solidarity after the 7th of October. And when you hear the United States, the UK, Canada, Hungary, Brazil, the list goes on of countries that are urging Israel not to take this action and being using words like a ceasefire for the first time in a declaration to the UN. Do you think Israel is losing international support for this war? I don't think that any cessation of the fire will help anyone. I don't think that we are measuring right now the uh, international support for Israel's position uh, uh, against the, the security of Israel. There are two different things. When a Brazilian president dares to say that uh, we are doing what Hitler did, uh, I think that is crossing the very the lowest threshold possible of humanitarian uh, approach to what Israel is doing. We are working as hard as we can to keep people out of harm's way because these people are our neighbors. 
And among them, there is a terrorist organization mm -hmm. that uses them as human shields. Let me ask and you this about... this government has said that as many other governments. Let, let me ask you about some of the things that are happening on the ground. One is, yesterday the UN said it has credible allegations that Palestinian women and children have, in its words, been arbitrarily and deliberately executed in Gaza, in places where they sought refuge or while fleeing, some of them holding white sheets, for example. How do you respond to those reports from the UN? that the United Nations uh, personnel on the ground has been proven to be members of Hamas that spread lies. Uh, they are not support, they are not providing any proof. Uh, just uh, to mention the Al-Hali hospital at the beginning of the war, when they mentioned it, 20 minutes after there was a bombardment at the parking place, that there were 500 casualties, which turned out to be, uh, unfortunately, but still much lower number. Um, so I wouldn't trust the UN personnel on the ground in any way, shape, or form, especially when we're talking about the UNRWA organization as it's been fully infiltrated by Hamas, that is, uh, to many, uh, is actually, as a monopolizer of the international assistance and aids, continues to steal international aid. Uh, there, is, there is, of course, there are horrible, horrible events that are taking place there and women are dying and children are dying. So will, 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 there, be an will there be an investigation into what be, the UN has reported? I, Matt, I, can, you, can you rephrase that question? I'm not sure that I fully understand. If you're asking me now about... Will, will there an be an investigation into what the, the UN by, has reported? Well, when the UN files an official report, there may be any kind of investigation, which is the normal. The, the, the norm in Israel, mm. if there is an official complaint, there is an official investigation. I'm not aware of that. But I'm telling you that uh, there are so many allegations by UN officials that are based on lies, and either because they are supported on, by data that is provided by a terrorist organization or because they are biased. And so that has been our experience, unfortunately. And in spite of all of that, we will continue to work with the UN organizations to provide any uh, humanitarian aid that is necessary for the Palestinian population because they shouldn't suffer under this biased uh, attitude of the UN. Let me ask you, we're almost, we have just a couple of minutes left. You mentioned UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency staff. Your government said that it had evidence that 12 uh, uh, workers there had ties to the Hamas attack on the 7th of October. The CBC has reported that Canadian officials haven't seen that evidence. And that's important in part because aid to UNRWA has been ceased by many countries, including Canada, because of those allegations. Why hasn't that evidence been shared with Canadian officials? I can't tell you what Canadian officials have. There are many ways to approach them, but they, they say sure they, 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 they say they told CBC that they haven't seen, seen the evidence of, of uh, a UNRWA worker, which was identified on air online. We also distributed that uh, those images who is seen being uh, abducting a body of an Israeli uh, young man uh, shot in his car. They are abducting the body, putting it in a car and driving away. So that video is, is widely available and there will be much more evidence just like that. Have you seen the evidence? I saw the video. Have you, have you seen I'm the sure evidence, you though, that, that 12 uh, UNRWA workers, uh, according to the Israeli government, had ties to the Hamas attack? Have you, have you seen that evidence? Why should I see the evidence? Well, because it has a material impact. I mean, the question is whether that evidence exists. The Canadian officials, other officials haven't seen that. Uh, and there are concerns around whether that aid is going to continue to flow because of, of those allegations. And the question is just what, what evidence is there? 
No, I think you're confusing a few things here. I'm the Israeli ambassador in Canada. I'm not working with the United Nations. So the evidence that it needs to be provided needs to be provided to the United Nations that there's an investigation going on. The steps that were taken by the international community vis-a-vis Hamas are not steps that Israel has asked for, but they've come to the conclusion that they might must freeze the aid, the, the financial aid. The third part is that, fin- that material assistance, as I just mentioned earlier, in spite of all that we know with UNRWA, is still flowing into the Gaza Strip mm. as we speak. So the conclusion reached by the international community that UNRWA needs to be uh, changed or perhaps even completely disbanded, I don't know what, all of that has nothing to do with the current provision of aid, which continues in spite of the fact that we know that this organization is... Uh, is is to a very great, great extent filled by Hamas operatives. Ambassador, we will have to leave it there. We will talk again. Um, in the meantime, I do appreciate your time this morning on the program. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Ido Moed is Israel's ambassador to Canada. He was in Ottawa. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.